This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you're welcome to join us tonight on our late-night national town hall conversation. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And the Fulton County clerk in Georgia who leaked the Trump charges something like nine hours before they were actually voted on says she accidentally hit send instead of save. However, this is kind of like saying, um, you know, um, I predicted the future, right? Because she had already made this foregone conclusion that they were going to charge on those counts. He, th this is, <laughs> I'm speechless. This is a process, right? The legal process where they have a grand jury and they say, we want to indict somebody on this, 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 and this. And they have to wait for these grand jurors to offer their vote and say, hey, this is uh, something we think he did. This is something we don't think he did. Nine hours ahead of time, right? It was something like 12 noon. She hits send instead of save. Now, I got to tell you, you know, if it were you or me, if you said, hey, look, I was volunteering at my county clerk's office and uh, they asked me to do this thing and they asked me to hit save on it just so they could use it later. And um, by accident, I hit send. Maybe I would buy it then. But I can't buy that now because this woman is a sworn uh, county official, right? She's the clerk of the county. This is literally her only job is to get these things right. Unbelievable. Anyway, her name, uh, the Fulton County Clerk of Courts, admitted to accidentally releasing the fourth indictment of uh, former President Donald Trump. She said she pressed the send button instead of the save button on the document. And here's what she says. She says, I'm human. This is what uh, Shay Alexander told uh, Channel 2's Tom Jones on Tuesday. And I think we have some audio uh, of a news report on that. And I, I want to throw that now so that you can hear it. Listen to this. It, you're really going to get a kick out of it. I mean, even the reporter seems incredulous to this. It's kind of like, who does that, right? How do you report on something, especially from a court, before the vote by the jury, a grand jury at that, has, has even happened in an arraignment? So as we get that loaded up, <clears throat> we're dealing with high-tech technology here. And we, um, we have it loaded, and we're going to play it for you right now. 
Shea Alexander says she was under a lot of pressure to make sure this process went smoothly. There were no hiccups. She says in trying to be perfect, she made a mistake. And instead of hitting, hit, hitting save, she hit send. I am human. Fulton County Clerk and of Court Shea Alexander says even though she's human, she strives for perfection. And that's how the mishap happened. The mishap was she inadvertently posted the indictment charges against former President Donald Trump, even though the grand jury was still deliberating Monday. That set off a media firestorm and had Trump's attorneys saying prosecutors had no respect for the grand jury process. Alexander said this had nothing to do with the DA's office and there was nothing sinister about the mistake she made. I have no dog in the fight. She says in an effort to handle the indictment perfectly, she messed up. I did a work sample in the system and when I hit save, it went to the press queue. Some news reporters saw it before it was deleted. Alexander says what they saw was unofficial. It wasn't an official document. It wasn't official charges. It was the dry run. It was a work sample. Even though it had a case number, Alexander says it didn't have a stamp and other markings that would have made it official. I asked her why did she release a statement calling the document fictitious? That was the best word I could come up with. Um, it was fictitious. It wasn't real. It didn't have a stamp on it. Why didn't you say it was an error? She says fictitious was what her team came up with. We've been getting some calls. Her office has received calls and emails with threats. People saying, I'm coming to get you. Those threats have been forwarded to the sheriff's office. Alexander says she was under a lot of pressure to get this right. Now she says she just wants to explain what happened and get back to work. I tell my staff we just want to be transparent, right? And so I don't have anything to hide. All right. So I don't know where to start, but we're going to start with I'm human. Listen, we're all human, right? I work in a job where I have to say words and my words um, should be clear and crisp. And, you know, there's times where I mispronounce things. There's times where I, 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 I misspeak. And you, you can go back and correct the record. I think we, we, we are human and we do make mistakes. And I'm not uh, above accepting or understanding that. However, I interview people here and I try to take everybody seriously and be respectful. And I'm just comparing her job to my job just to, to make a uh, juxtaposition. When I'm interviewing someone that's a little bit harder to get than other guests or a little bit more in demand, for example, let's say Donald Trump, who was on this show, right? Um, I made sure a second and a third time that I had all of my stuff, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, everything was, was good to go because you, you only get one shot at things like that sometimes. Right. So I, I, I can't help but think if you're the County clerk and th this is record breaking history of, of a former president and literally he was president during the time that they are, that they're saying he committed these crimes. Don't you think that you would work a little extra hard, just a little bit harder, to make sure you don't screw it up? And, and to say that she has no dog in this fight, I guess you can say that to try and have this, this um, patina of, of um, um, independence, if you will. But this is crazy. Miss Shea Alexander, I think uh, your story is fake, phony, and fraud, just like the word fictitious. Then she says it was a fictitious document. Hold on a second. So she, this work sample, and, and again, I guess she, you could be nervous and find, you know, the wrong word. 
you know, I, I, I every now and again, I'm looking for a word that doesn't really come quickly to the tip of my tongue. But come on, you've got to do better than this. You know, I mean, me and my team, she said, right? My team and I, I think she said me and my team. If you have your team of publicists working on this, you've got to do better. And again, I'm being extraordinarily generous, right? I should be saying this. This was, uh, you know, it, the cat's out of the bag. The thing is rigged. They knew they wanted to indict him from the beginning. They knew there was no way they were going to find him not guilty. Uh, I could say all of those things, but I couldn't prove them. But that would be my speculation. But what I can prove is that the county clerk of the court in Fulton County leaked the document to the media, pulled it back, then said it was fake, then said, I'm sorry, I'm human, and made this whole thing public nine hours before these people even cast their votes. Absolute crazy town. That's all I could tell you. Now, Alexander says that she wanted to get to the indictment uh, to the public as soon as possible. And that's how the mishap happened. <laughs> yeah, let me start. You know, we, I figured I don't have a dog in this fight, but I figured they were going to find this guy guilty. So I might as well go right ahead and do that. This is uh, absolute craziness. In my opinion, it's, it's, it's very crazy. I don't think mistakes like this should happen. And it only feeds into when Trump says it's rigged against me. This is wrong. It's fake. It's phony. It's fraud. This just makes him look right and right and right each and every time, because that's exactly what this looks like. Anyway, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about the rest of this Fulton County case. I also want to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, the one year anniversary, which is today as well as uh, the DA in F Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie Willis, who's a good friend of uh, former President Barack Obama and a former member of the Black Panthers. So we'll get to that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. The phone number, if you want to join us, 482-5337-8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. These investigations, they don't matter to the average American people. This is the right wing, the hard right wing talking to each other. Let them keep talking to each yeah. other. We're talking to talking the American to people. So that's uh, New York Senator Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, by the way, I grew up in Brooklyn. He was our, our guy back then. And uh, his campaign office was like six blocks away or four blocks away from my house. And he was very friendly in the neighborhood, said hi to everybody, knew my mother and my father. And he would, you know, he, I would be riding my bike in front of uh, uh, the apartment building. And he'd stop by and like mess up my hair, trying to be all friendly, say hello. Hello, Louisa, to my mother. Hello, Juan, how you doing? He, he's, he's a real retail politician. And this is why he's as popular as he is, and he gets reelected time and time again. Uh, but he's really, really just gone so far to the left. And he says people don't care about these investigations. Now, he's talking about the Hunter Biden investigation. And I think the truth is that people on either side of the aisle, right, there's a lot of Republicans that don't care about the Trump investigations, indictments, and, and, and craziness. And then there's also the other side. 
And they're like, oh, come on. Who cares if Hunter paid for hookers and cheated on his taxes? Who isn't doing that, right? That's how kind of the left feels. And it's just, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. But what people really seem to not care about is a, a lot of the, the back and forth with the politics. Now, I got to tell you, I care. So if Schumer's right, uh, me and my friends that are right of center, we care about this stuff. And I want to bring one of my buddies in. His name is Sean Farish. He's the host of the Ungovered podcast on Rumble. And this guy is absolutely terrific. He was an activist in New York. Now he's out in Tennessee and he's just tearing it up. Sean Farish, welcome, sir. Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for uh, bringing me back on uh, with you, Rich. I'm really excited. Happy to hear that your show is going well. I heard the message from the, uh, from the big guy. And at first I was like, did I record? No, I don't remember recording that for Rich. I think that's really Trump. That's amazing. Uh, congratulations on an amazing show. I hear that uh, you're up for a couple of awards and progressing into the next round. And I think when I first came on a few months ago, you know, and, and I think you had just started in this slot. It's like, you know, and we talked, I think we talked a little bit about it. You know, you, you come from the uh, the Mark Levin tree, you know, and that's the great yes, one. Um, and there are guys like you and uh, Bongino who got his big break filling in for Levin. And just uh, it's 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 just amazing to see. And and I know you've said it then and we can hear it when we're on when you listen to a guy like Mark. And he's very humble, and he does not take credit for your success. And that's that says more about him than really anything else. But really, congratulations on just an amazing show. You've wor- I know you've worked so hard in the industry, and uh, and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm, I'm happy to see I'm happy to see you you know you really succeeding here. It's awesome. That is very kind of you. Thank you very much, boys. Make sure the check is in the mail for Sean Farish, uh, care of Captain Deplorable. <laughs> And, and I want to get the same kudos to you. I know your show is, uh, is kicking butt. Uh, I watch it whenever I can on, on Rumble, and I love it. You have some great rants. The passion is fantastic. Your analysis is sharp. And, and we're going to get into a bunch of that. And I want to make sure, as many of my, my listeners that do um, watch anything on Rumble, make sure you're watching Sean Farish on Ungoverned. But I want to jump back into this stuff with Chuck Schumer, right? Because Chuck Schumer, he, he, he says nobody cares about the Hunter Biden. And we're not going to spend too much time on Hunter Biden, but... I do feel, that, and I've said this for a long time, people really don't care about Hunter Biden, right? And I think the messaging, and partially on part of the Republicans, early on was Hunter Biden, he's a crackhead, Hunter Biden, he's a crackhead. And it never made the dotted line or direct line connection to his father, Joe El Baboso Biden, the president. And because of that failure, I think people lost interest early on. And now that there's all of this um, new evidence that comes out and this $20 million and shell corporations all over the place, I think people are losing sight of it. Uh, Do you think that this is a uh, myopic view on my part? Do you think people care more than I'm giving them credit for? Well, I don't know if people necessarily care that Hunter Biden did drugs, right? I mean, like, that is what it is. I'm not endorsing using drugs or crack or anything. It's, but to me, it's kind of like whatever people do it. And, uh, if it doesn't really impact the country, I, I don't really care, you know? Uh, but the fact of the matter is it does impact the country. And, um, I think now that we're finding out that his, you know, the cocaine getting into the white house, obviously jump started that conversation again, people have to start thinking about, is it, is it Hunter What's the story? Um, and I think also the fact that we're finding out now that 
you know, it was actually Hunter Biden who received three and a half million dollars from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, which Donald Trump called out in the debates, the 2020 debates. That's right. And, you know, oh, it's you're a clown and shut up, man. You know, all that stuff. Um, I think people are starting to care. And, and I heard what you were talking about, you know, uh, opening up the segment about Chuck Schumer and how nobody cares about it and it doesn't matter. And it's I want to ask independents and I want to ask liberals. If that was Donald Trump Jr. taking money from the mayor of Moscow's wife, what would your reaction be? Or even do what uh, the great Dom Lucre does on Twitter and basically put up that Donald Trump Jr. took three and a half million dollars from uh, from from the mayor of Moscow's wife. And in, real, in reality, it was Biden. And he gets all these retweets <laughs> from liberals who thinks he's serious and the guy's great. Yeah. Um, th- this is why I think people are going to start to care about Hunter Biden. We found out that 17 percent of people who voted in the uh, 2020 election would have voted differently had they known about the Hunter Biden laptop. So people care. I just don't think the people who are starting to care are getting the right story. They're not getting the, the, the real information. And that's what makes your show and so many other people in the conservative media space so important because we're the last line of defense uh, against the propaganda. Amen to that, brother, and, and count yourself a part of that uh, because you're reaching a lot of people that I wouldn't be able to reach. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great thing that we have to keep beating the drum and, and just, if anything else, just helping people to be inquisitive. And, and I've, I, I was sharing yesterday, and again, I'm going off topic here, but I think it lends itself well to the conversation. Someone that I know um, recently sent me something, a cultural thing. It was the, the Skittles wrapper that says Black Trans Lives Matter and uh I think it said embrace the resistance or be the resistance. And it was like little kids writing this in chalk. Uh, it was a cartoonized version of a playground scene. And this is a mom. And she was concerned about that saying Like, well, what is that? Like, why should my kid have to see this? You know, not that she was against it. She just was shocked that that was targeted towards kids. And I feel when you have very apolitical people, people that go out of their way to not be political, right? People that walk away from political conversations. They don't watch any cable news. They just listen to music, go to work, pay their taxes and live life, go to concerts every now and again. When people like that are taking you know, notice and exception to things when there's an attack on their children, I think people do care about that. I think independents care about that. And when you trace that to where it's coming from, it's not coming from Trump. It's not coming from Republicans. It's coming from the left, the hard left, uh, the, the people on the left that, that maybe don't even care about that but carry their water anyway. And of course their henchmen in the media that, you know, propagate this to the masses. So I can't help but think that, you know, when Schumer's saying that nobody cares about this, uh, I do agree that people may not care about the drug issue, but I think people care a whole lot about their families. They care a whole lot about this country and they care a whole lot about uh, their finances. And with today being the one year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, I want to get your take on that. I also want to uh, get your take on something I talked about in the first segment, which is uh, Shay Alexander, the Fulton County clerk, releasing the uh, Trump indictment eight or nine hours early. And uh, and of course, everything on the uh, famous infamous now D.A. in Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, so uh, stick with me, Sean Farish. The music means they're kicking us out for a second, but we're coming back with Sean Farish. And he's the host of Ungoverned. Check it out on Rumble.com. And his website, CaptainDeplorable45.com, if you want to check him out there. But definitely go and subscribe to his podcast. It's worth the watch. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-Valdez. 
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. And so he is very clearly testing the terms of his release, both in that case and, and I would say with these attacks on prosecutors, in others. Poppy, you know, some lawyers say, and we talk about this in the piece, mm-hmm. other defendants, if they were doing similar things, would be in jail. Now, yeah. it's very complicated to think of something like that happening to somebody with a Secret Service detail, but mm-hmm. there is the question of will the judge or the prosecutors seek some kind of recourse as he continues yeah. to talk. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. She was on CNN earlier today saying that Trump would be in jail for these attacks on courts if he were any other defendant. I haven't seen Trump attack any court. I've Again, this is more free speech policing. Uh, but this is the case of Fannie Willis. And she's the Fulton County DA, uh, former member of the Black Panther Party. And she's trying to put Trump in jail for violating RICO and the, 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 the sentencing guidelines for these things are just off the wall. Sean Farish, welcome back. Sean Farish is our guest. Uh, he, we're having a, an in-depth conversation here on this stuff. He's the host of Ungoverned. Check it out at Rumble.com. And Sean Farish, what, I, I think many people agree that this is like a travesty of justice, and I agree, and it's election interference, and I agree. But in this particular instance, it seems like they have gone beyond bending the rules to make this fit Trump. It seems like this stuff doesn't even match what really happened. What say you? Yeah, I think election interference and uh, miscarriage of justice or uh, prosecutorial misconduct or whatever you want to call it, it's definitely uh, something's not right. And the reason why they're doing it, obviously, is because these are people who are suffering from what has been known as, you know, Trump derangement syndrome. And, And I think it's even more than that. I mean, I think we know that you know, if he wasn't running for president, there would be no indictments, even though they can't stand the guy. He's not actually a threat. I think uh, I think Adam Goldman um, tipped his hand the other day or some, somebody did. I believe that they were looking at uh, potentially uh, giving Hunter Biden in his in his plea deal, something that would protect him against a vindictive Donald Trump. Should he win? Now, why would they be why would they be uh, uh, trying to protect these guys if they didn't think Trump had a chance or didn't think that he would win? So I think they're genuinely terrified of, of him. And I think that's what, part of, of why you're seeing all of these uh, indictments and all of these charges and all of these efforts to you know, basically get him off the ballot. And I believe it was Alan Dershowitz who came on. Uh, I think it was Steve Bannon's show or someone. I saw him say it. We were talking about that earlier this morning about him 
you know, just saying what the what the what the plan here is. The plan here is to get bad convictions and then have the convictions, even if they're overturned, it doesn't matter because what they're looking to do is sway public opinion, which is election interference. And when you see this, what's going on in Fulton County, I mean, how does an indictment wind up? How do charges wind up filed or or appear to be filed with a case number and a and a judge on the county court's website? before the grand jury is done convening. If that doesn't show you that there was a predetermined outcome, if you know, that's, that's like WrestleMania results being released by WWE right. before <laughs> WrestleMania. I mean, that is, it, that's exactly what this feels like. And it, people should be outraged over it. And, you know, but because it's Trump and he sent a couple of mean tweets and, uh, you know, he, he speaks his mind, tells the truth and goes to war with the Intel apparatus it's it's perfectly justified. It, they would justify anything. As a matter of fact, we talked about this study of the University of Chicago. 11.6% of those polled, which would extrapolate, translate to 30 million Americans, believe that violence is justified to keep Donald Trump from regaining power. Violence, okay? That is, that's unacceptable. Crazy. I don't do violence, it, it, but that's where the left is. It, it's absolute insanity. And, you know, I, I think, and, and it's being fed from every direction. Earlier today, I saw a piece in the New York Post, and uh, and I tweeted it out because, honestly, it was one of the dumbest pieces of rhino rhetoric I'd ever read, honestly, by a guy named uh, M- M- McLaughlin. Um, I think his name is Dan McLaughlin. And, he, he, you know, and my, my take here on this is that but for Trump in 2016, the Republicans would be dead, in my opinion, right? You'd have McConnell, Romney, uh, Kinzinger, Cheney. They would be the leaders of the party. I think the reason we're having such a robust primary right now is because of Trump. And it's literally in spite of liberal Democrats that are cross-dressing as moderate Republicans. And I, I think it's really disappointing. But we're seeing it from the Republican Party. And again, I, I'm, I'm not policing their speech. Everybody can you can like Trump, you can hate Trump, whatever you want to do. But it's just interesting to me. That you're saying that they're, they're justifying violence. This guy starts off his article saying, you know, there's 91 counts against Trump. This, that, that, you know, really just piling on. And kind of throwing out the idea of innocent until proven guilty. Look, I think Hunter Biden's innocent until proven guilty. He's the one that admitted guilt, right? So now we can say he's guilty of X, Y, and Z. And, and to me, that's the larger problem here, um, only because I think the damage is serious, right? And, and just a quick aside, and, and uh, I'll get your take on it. Um, I, I shared an Instagram story about Trump and all the charges and all the years in prison that he might face and uh, up to and including the death penalty. And my daughter wrote me and she said, is this true? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I wouldn't put something that's fake. And she was like, wow. And, and again, another apolitical person, um, she doesn't care. She's 22 years old. And, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, it, it's crazy how, you know, people that are sympathetic to Trump um, might see this and say, wow, this is really bad. Like, what did he really do? And it's exactly what you're saying. This is designed to give him a black eye, to slow him down, to keep him tied up in court, to keep him spending money, to keep him away. I think right now Fannie Willis just tried to get the the trial date set for one day before the Super Tuesday primary. I mean, is that crazy or what? Yeah, that's exactly what she did. And the timing is not a coincidence in any of it. They're, all of the trial dates, all of them, whether it's New York, Georgia, D.C. or Florida, are all before the 2024 election. And I'm not saying, you know, there are some people who are, who are saying that that's a bad thing and, you know, it should be after the election. But, 
you know, if I'm Trump, I, I want this kind of, I want this stuff over with before the general, because for all intents and purposes, the primary is over. It, it, I mean, I, I'm not saying that any votes have been cast, and, but Donald Trump's leading the primary. It just keeps growing. Every time they indict him, it keeps growing. Um, so he has been set, his eyes have been set on the general for a very long time. And, you know, and, and that's where they should be, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think there are any really serious primary challengers right now in the 2024 GOP field. And, you know, the only one that was serious is DeSantis and his campaign just isn't, it's just not firing on all cylinders right now. And, and I'll leave it at that with, when it comes to, you know, what they're doing. But uh, all of the trials are going to be done before, or, or, or at least going to be, have had started before the 2024 election. And while that is election interference, I think it's kind of better than having the Democrats be able to say, well, you know, when he's the president, he's going to be tied up in court. He's going to have all these trials that he's going to have to go to, at least for the, for the, for the, that part of it, the process will be over. But again, this is clear and present election interference. And the only, only court that they care about right now, because they know that these, that these convictions, if there are convictions, are going to be thrown out in the Supreme Court. I mean, the New York case was, I think Alvin Bragg's role here was to just kind of be the first one. He's not serious. The charges are silly. People have no idea what he's even doing. He probably doesn't even know what he's even doing. But he was basically breaking the mold and setting the precedent that, yeah, you know, anyone can indict a sitting president. Then you have Jack Smith unleashing the full force of the Department of Justice in Miami and in Washington, D.C. And then you have, you know, Fannie Willis kind of bookending it with another uh, state, you know, a local state county DA, you know, going in Fulton County, just like how uh, Alvin Bragg did in, in, in Manhattan. Um, but I think obviously the only court that they care about is the court of public opinion, which is the court that rules our elections, right? It's the public that has a say. We think we would love to believe, you know, and, and obviously there are issues to clean up there. But it's the court of public opinion that weighs heaviest on elections. And all they want to do is be able to give them the black eye and have those those taglines and talking points of, wow, he's been convicted of seven felonies or A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And he's got these things hanging over his head to kind of keep people from voting for him. But I think that's backfiring because I think a lot of people realize that, you know, these these charges are they're they're not substantial. They're not as serious as one would be, you know, let out to, to believe. Remember that. Jack Smith leaked all the audio, you know, of that conversation, Trump waving papers around when it was probably just a secret menu at McDonald's. There wasn't anything serious. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, and, 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 and that's all they have is the ability to sway public opinion, but not actually sway, you know, legal standing here. Um, but that's their goal. And so what we have to do is make sure that the public doesn't fall for it. We have to keep hammering home on the fact that the president of the United States right now is an unregistered foreign agent and has sold out our country. Well put, Sean Farish. Uh, stick with me. We're coming right back with Sean Farish. Your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I'm not here to declare victory on the economy. 
our economy stronger and better than any industrial nation in the world right now. We, but we have more work to do. We have a plan that's running, turning things around. The Inflation Reduction Act is a part of that plan. Bidenomics is just another way of saying restoring the American dream. All right, that's President Joe El Baboso Biden, and it sounds like he did that interview from bed. Sean Farish. Well, I could tell you this. Uh, this is a terrible president, probably the worst president in the history of our great country. And, you know, I don't know if you saw him today, but he was talking about ice cream to children and told you, <laughs> Daddy owes you. I don't think you want to see Daddy owe these children anything. And he's probably going to sniff them and then get a banana split. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we talk about that, well, maybe we don't want to say a word about it. When you say bananas and the next thing that comes to mind is a pop singer that is huge. We don't want to talk about it, but there's a scandal going on about that. But the Inflation Reduction Act, he talked about and he talked about this. He says that the economy is back and it's strong and it's incredible. And really, it's not strong and it's not incredible. And I can even tell you this. They don't like me very much, these three people. Stacey Abrams, Chris Christie, Rosie O'Donnell, they're all huge people. And they're upset with the cost. They're upset with the cost of bacon. It's tripled. They're all taking the, and I told them maybe you could lose weight with the keto diet. I think they chose the Edo diet. They're eating everything and they're spending all of their money. The economy is a disaster. The economy is a disaster. And he wants to say it's not a disaster. He's a disgrace. And we're going to make America great again and fix it. Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. Folks, that's Sean Farish, probably one of the, the best, in my opinion, um, Trump impersonators in the country. And he's got an amazing show on Rumble.com. It's called Ungoverned with Sean Farish. Now, Sean Farish, in, in all seriousness, though, uh, Biden was like half asleep giving the speech. And he's out there uh, celebrating the anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. And He's him and John Podesta are out there kind of backtracking now and with uh, Karine Jean-Pierre saying, you know, well, it wasn't really about reducing inflation in, in, in so much as it was about promoting climate change. This is the most aggressive climate policy we've ever seen. Why on earth would we put forward a big bill and make all this fanfare about cutting inflation uh, when it's really about climate change? Um, well, because it was never going to cut inflation, and everyone pointed it out at the time that it was about climate change, and we pointed out that the Inflation Reduction Act was really the Green New Deal, you know, wrapped up in different wrapping paper, and they call this yeah. conspiracy theorists, and so now they come out and say, well, the Inflation Reduction Act, Reduction Act wasn't about reducing inflation. Well, that's kind of like ordering, you know, like a root beer and getting a lemonade and being like, well, you know, this is... It was never actually going to be root beer. It's just called that for fun. I mean, and there are people that will believe it. There are right. people that will believe that the Inflation Reduction Act wasn't designed to reduce inflation. A rain jacket <laughs> is not designed to keep you dry. It's just called that for the hell of it. You know, I, I, I can't take it. And, yeah, it does sound like Joe Biden was half asleep giving that speech, and that's probably because – you know, it was in the middle of the week and the cocaine hadn't arrived at the White House yet because Hunter was spending some time doing other things and he wasn't awake. I don't know. Did I say that? Can we take one from Mark? Can I say that, Mr. Producer? <laughs> You're clear. So, uh, you know, and look, uh, that, that's just every day. It's something new with this guy. He's falling on a flight of stairs. He's tripping over a sandbag. He's you know, sniffing another child. He, he nibbled on one, I think, in Europe. Uh, he, you know, he's uh, the ice cream comment today. I don't know what to do about this guy other than, you know, getting all of our friends and family out and making sure that we vote against them in November.
Now, speaking of November, right, um, th- there's a debate coming up amongst Republicans to figure out, you know, wh- who he's going to square off against. Uh, I, I personally think uh, Trump is, is the best um, candidate to go against Biden. Uh, but there's a, a lot of fanfare. Trump, uh, I think, is, is sitting out that first debate, if that's still the case. Uh, what do you think that first debate's going to look like? Well, uh, I think you're going to see Christie taking shots at him. That's his role, Chris Christie. They call him, him sloppy Chris Christie, big guy. Reminds <laughs> me of that scene from Star Wars. That's no moon. That's a space station. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think you're going to see Christie taking shots at him. A lot of people are going to take shots at him with him not being there. But if you remember, he did this in 2016 once also. He didn't go to one of the debates. I'm not exactly sure why. But he didn't go to one of the debates and held an event himself and was the number one most searched name on Google, despite not being on national television that night. I personally, and this is where, you know, people will get upset with me because, you know, how dare you disagree with something Trump does. And I love I'm supporting him. I, I, I'm a huge supporter of him, not just because I sound like him, but because like you, uh, I believe he's the best suited to take on Joe Biden. I personally think he should go to the debates, but I understand where he's coming from you know, up 40 points uh, in the polls, in some polls, that why does he have to go? I think everyone's pretty much, you know, the majority of the party has pretty much made up their mind at this point uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. So I think those debates are going to be uh, are going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to be much fun. Chris Christie will probably trash him a little bit. DeSantis will beat around the bush with consultant prep talking points. And I think, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what a Vivek Ramaswamy has to say at these debates. I, I think he's an interesting guy. I don't know if I have my mind made up on him yet. He's said some questionable things and there's some questionable things about his past, but recently he's been real good. He's been, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's been saying, I I hate to say the cliche saying a lot of the right things, but seems to have his priorities in place. Interested to see what he does on the debate stage. Yep. We'll leave it there. We're coming right back with Sean Farish. We're going to wrap this thing up. Sean Farish, host of Ungoverned on Rumble, rumble.com. Check it out. It's a video podcast. It's uh, every day. We'll get the time and everything on the other side of this. If you want to join us, give me a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. We're on with Sean Farish. He's the host of Ungoverned on Rumble, rumble.com. I was going to say the other people, forgive me. <laughs> Sean Farish, um, let everybody know how, where they can, um, you know, rumble.com, but what time, you, I, I'm guessing you do it live. Yeah, we do it live 10 a.m. Eastern to 11 a.m. Eastern every day, Monday through Friday, on the Rumble channel called LFA TV at Lima Foxtrot Alpha. I always say that all the time. That's our inside joke. LFA TV. The show is called Ungoverned. It's an hour long, uh, straight through. And uh, you've seen some of the clips on Instagram. I appreciated the kind words about the uh, about the show earlier in this Absolutely. segment. Uh, on, you know, this hour. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you could join the live chat, go ahead and join it. Um, it's a lot of fun every morning. I understand everyone has life, so if you can't, that's cool. But if you consider watching it later, leave a comment. Let us know you came from the Rich Valdez Show. We'd be glad to have you. Yeah, you know, I used to do a show at 10 o'clock in the morning in New York and uh, 10 to noon. 
And uh, there, there's quite an audience out there at that time, so I'm sure you're doing well, and I encourage you guys to check out Ungoverned on rumble.com and the live chat part is cool that's kind of like taking calls right <laughs> you, you get it is, the it is like feedback. taking calls it does uh, and, and we actually have figured out a way to do uh live calls on our show we've done it a few times and it's it's a ton of fun so uh oh, that's cool like i said we have we have a blast on our show it's really cool we'd love to have each and every one of you listening right now come join us in the morning uh let us know rich Valdez that has sent you you'd be more than welcome and what's the uh, website where they can um go to uh Anything that you're doing? How do they find out what you're up to? So uh, you can follow me on social media on any Twitter truth getter at S-H-A-W-N and underscore F-A-R-A-S-H. And the website, if you want, uh, we did the trumpet earlier in this, uh, in, uh, you know, in this hour. CaptainDeplorable45.com. Believe it or not, I'll record your ringtones, voicemails, all that stuff. Check it out. Uh, we'd, we'd love it. It's a lot of fun for us, and I think you'll love it, too. Sean Farish is the best. Sean, thank you for staying up late and joining us tonight. Godspeed with everything you're doing. You're a patriot, sir. Thank you. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back. Don't miss it. Hour number two, straight ahead. It's going to be loaded. I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you tonight. It's Wednesday. I actually know what day it is, so that's always a plus. And uh, the phone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation and weigh in on the conversation, happy to hear from you. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, the um, ex-FBI agent might remember his name, Charles McGonagall. He has pled guilty to aiding a Russian oligarch. We'll get to that a little bit more at the top of the hour. Uh, we also have Trump boasting a 41-point lead just a week ahead of the first Republican debate. And AOC, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, all out crazy herself. She owes about 50 grand in student loans. And some are saying that's why she's calling for a taxpayer-funded cancellation uh, we had a little bit of a conversation on that last night. We can talk about that a little bit more later as well. And listen to this. This is an interesting one. So you've got some 911 emergency call centers are now launching artificial intelligence uh, to start triaging redundant reports. 911 call centers across the country are reporting staffing issues with some turning to AI technology to help bridge the gap. That's kind of crazy. Uh, I think it's crazy. But I guess uh, there's, there's more than meets the eye there. And, and AI is something that's kind of all over the place. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on AI uh, in this hour. And there's, uh, there's some interesting information out there. There's all sorts of people in all sorts of workplaces that um, you got workers that are feeling overlooked by their bosses. And it's not even just about pay, right? They're really looking for like... Uh, more meaning, right? We've heard about this in the past, what they call quiet quitting. And 
it, it's many many of them it's because of uh, generational things certain younger generations have different needs in the workplace uh, versus others and uh, the view of you know just a job's a job let me show up and do my job is, is not shared by everybody but with um little employer oversight chat gpt the ai um platform is being used a lot and it's soaring amongst american workers now this is interesting to me because obviously with shortages all over the place you got the 911 call centers using ai you've got um, all sorts of companies that are starting to use it people are using it to prank their friends i mean it's a very useful technology but double-edged sword right we've talked about it in the past where it has its pros and its cons. Uh, but now it's being used more and more in business. And somebody that's spent um, his career helping small business owners thrive is Patrick Kuchera. Uh, he's known as the entrepreneurial evangelist. And he's heading up a movement called the Revival of Revenue. And I want to get his take on this uh, AI in the workplace because workplaces are an interesting dynamic. So Let's welcome Patrick Kuchera to the program. Welcome, sir. Well, hello there. How are you doing, sir? Fantastic. Thank God. It's Wednesday. Hump day. Hump day. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not artificial. <laughs> and you are intelligent. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> I love it. So let's, let's talk about this. What's your initial take when you hear that, that um, this is going on now and artificial intelligence chatbots are you know mimicking human communication and they're being mm -hmm. widely used in more and more places and I, I would figure it's just technology and a lot of times people adapt technology to make their business processes better I get that uh, I think just a lot of people are concerned that this may replace people and you're gonna have lots of job losses we've seen it happen with Amazon and other places so what say you well the what you just said is accurate um, AI is replacing a lot of jobs, and so therefore take heed. I mean, the good book tells us that the wise see danger coming and they take refuge, and the simple keep going and suffer for it. So, you know, AI is here. I suggest people learn as much as they can about it, both the good and the bad, and take refuge in, in the place they need to take refuge, but adjust and, and change course where necessary, because the simple, if they keep going, will suffer for it. Uh, AI is a tool, it's a tip, teaching and training a technology, if you will, that helps businesses in the processes that you were talking about. And here's the deal. Time is money, and money is the bottom line of business. It's all about profitability or you're out of business. So AI has a lot of upside, without a doubt. But here's my concern. My concern mm -hmm. is we live in the loneliest generation uh, in the history of the world we live in the sickest generation in America when it comes to worry, anxiety, depression, and and it's 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 uh, this AI is really social media now on steroids, and we know what a decade of social media has done to a young generation that now is highest in suicide rates, worry and anxiety, prescription drugs, big pharma benefiting from all of that. So with all of the pluses that I see going on in the workplace for entrepreneurs and employees. Uh, talking to a bot is the exact opposite thing that I think God, our creator, wants. I think he wants us talking to him a little bit more, yeah. and he certainly wants us talking to his people more than just a robot. And so I think that's, 
that's the conversation is the entrepreneurial evangelist. I usually, I'm a God guy. I think we need to put God back into the equation of making money. I think we need God back in the workplace. And not from an ideology perspective, Rich, but more from how we generate income. And, and so that's, that's where I take that conversation. All right. That's a good place to take it. So how do we do that, right? So how do you reconcile what you're talking about, you know, keeping God at the, the center of things while using uh, AI in the workplace? I don't know if you've had this opportunity in some of the clients that you've worked with, but what is an example of how that looks? Well, great question. Thanks for the opportunity uh, to even entertain that conversation because we've lived in a generation of separation for, for decades now, right? So I, I kind of think that's the problem, and I think integration is where it's at. I think God can do more in a nanosecond than even AI can do in a lifetime. And, and I think that that is, 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 is where that conversation goes. That isn't to the detriment of the amazing, amazing ability of AI. I mean, again, it's, it's such an incredible tool, and, and I think it needs to be utilized. I remember when I was a little boy and my dad brought home a self-propelled lawnmower, Rich. <laughs> I remember thinking, wow, isn't this better than pushing that big lawnmower all afternoon? Uh, but guess what happened? Uh, by using a self-propelled lawnmower, I didn't get in shape. I didn't use certain muscles. And I think that as technology makes things easier for this generation, people need to understand the opportunity loss, opportunity cost, and where something becomes easier, easier uh, in one aspect of making, you know, and utilizing our money muscles. Um, I call them revenue reps. Revenue reps develop money muscles. Uh, whenever something gets easier, you have to understand what's the opposite of that. And I think easier isn't necessarily always beneficial in the workplace. I mean, there is a benefit to working. There is a benefit to creativity. And I think that that's where the balance between when do you turn to your own creative genes and use AI as a tool to assist that versus dependence upon it completely. Yeah, it makes sense. We're going to continue to tug on that thread with Patrick Kuchera, the entrepreneurial evangelist. And if you want to weigh in on the conversation on AI in the workplace, uh, feel free. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Welcome back. We are here with Patrick Kuchera, who is known as the Entrepreneurial Evangelist. He heads up a movement called the Revival of Revenue, and he helps uh, small business owners do their thing. Talking about chat GPT and a couple of other workplace issues. And I want to run something by you, Patrick, because I was looking at this um, study that was sent to me recently. It says 65% of coworkers report that they're their fellow employees turn very passive aggressive in particular over email 
Now, this is outside of the realm of AI. This is real uh, human intelligence. But I find it interesting because I've been through this where people, um, you know, they'll see you at the water cooler and they're like, hey. And then they send you, a, you know, a very kind of passive aggressive, you know, very cunning uh, type of email. And I'm wondering in, in your uh, travels, how have you helped uh, small business owners deal with that? Well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I've taught thousands of messages in hundreds of cities around the world. And one of the most popular was uh, a teaching and a training called Managing the Mess of Miscommunication through text, email, and even voicemail. Back in the day, you would have delayed voicemail. And so, you know, emails uh, can be misunderstood. I think that's one of the biggest problems. You mentioned passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. But passive aggressive goes both ways, right? Rich, you got yeah. you got the sender and you got the receiver. So the way a person sends something may not necessarily be passive aggressive if the receiver is passive aggressive themselves. So because emails lack the tone, like you can tell my tone right now, right? You can yeah. tell I'm laughing and chuckling while I'm saying this, right? You can tell I'm happy. But in an email you can't. In text, you can't. And so there's all kinds of miscommunication that creates a mess simply because if I said to you, Rich, in an email, hey, I don't want to go fishing with you, there's a lot of ways to, you know, interpret that. It could be, if you hear my voice, it could be, hey, Rich, I don't want to go fishing with you. Like, I'd love to have an interview with you or maybe go to a movie or a ball game and see the Yankees, but I don't want to go fishing with you. At the same time, if I said, hey, Rich, I don't want to go fishing with you, (laughs) right? Right. Hear the voice tone. Now I'm saying, I don't even want to be with you. And so the problem with uh, email communication, text communication, similar to our last segment with AI, is it takes out a lot of the human condition and the human factor of communicating where you're looking at each other in the eye you're watching the twitch muscles of facial movements, you're watching hand expressions, and you're hearing the tones that go with human communication and the condition of the human heart. And so I encourage people to when it comes to legal matters, yes, you put things in writing, but when it comes to relational management, always err on the side of avoiding text and email and get face-to-face and have that direct communication so that you're not misunderstood because a lot of times right. texts and emails are. So now when you were doing these trainings, um, what are some of the tips um, that you would, uh, I guess, you know, share with somebody yeah. who wants to have that difficult conversation with a coworker? Fantastic question. So if you're on the receiving end of one of these emails, it's a really simple sentence that I think even your listening audience can memorize. This is what I've observed. Help me understand. This is what I've observed. Help me understand. So when you receive an email and you don't necessarily know exactly what they meant, you can obviously observe the email that you received. But if you go to them with your interpretation, you could actually be going with accusation in your heart because you received it a certain way that wasn't necessarily meant to be sent by the, re- by the sender. So if you go and you say, you know, in your email, I noticed that you sent this. Can you help me understand what you mean? 
You hear the difference, Rich? You're not sure. accusing them at all. Now, if in fact people don't take my advice and when I'm in front of an audience, you should see the hands go up, Rich, when people, I go, how many of you, you've ever done this? You received a text or an email, you blew up, you called back, you fired back an email, you fired back a text, and then they go, wait a second, that isn't what I meant at all. Right. And so when you go back to somebody and you say, you know, I noticed that this is what you said, this is what you said, this is what I observed, can you help me understand what you meant? Now you're not accusing them. You give them a chance to say it. And if they truly meant what they said, you can deal with it. But now, hopefully, you're face-to-face. You try to get the relational management conversations in face-to-face so that you have the full access of all of the senses that God gave us to communicate. Well put. So uh, just to reiterate, it's this is what I've observed. Help me understand. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, I've used the help me understand part. Um, I I used to work as a manager for a small department for a while. And uh, that was my my go to phrase, because, you know, what my in my heart of hearts, I wanted to say, would you hit your head? What's going on with you? What's wrong with you? You (laughs) But but I I had to switch that up, obviously. So I wouldn't get an HR violation. And uh, and that's what I would say. Help me understand what you meant by that. Or help me understand where, where you're coming from with this so that I could really get to it. And, and uh, I think as a manager, you're typically on, on your game with that stuff because, you know, everybody's always looking to, to, to be like, oh, my manager is this and that. So you want to try to be as, as peaceful and, and empathetic as you can be. But I think sometimes when it's um, interrelational um, dynamic with in-between employees that are, you know, peer-to-peer, I think sometimes that's where it gets lost. And, and I think that's a, that's a key point. I think it's a really good point of how to manage that because I think this is something that so many people go through, especially now that people are going back into the office and they're, they're, they're um, you know, seeing people again. They have an opportunity to talk. But there's still a ton of people that are still working from home and new positions that are just like hybrid and whatever, and they sure, rely sure. so much more on email. So I think it's so important. Yes to, um, you know, use that. And something you mentioned earlier about lacking the tonality or, or body language and whatnot, you know, when I used to do a lot of emailing, I don't do that too much now, but I used to, um, you know, I had to like really go out of my way to fluff it up and make it very soft sounding, you know, with the use of emoticons, emojis, maybe a little joke or something, uh, some LOLs and hahas, because you, right. you really want them to understand <laughs> that I'm coming at you in a very, very nice, neutral, happy tone. Uh, and, yes. and you, you kind of have to go out of your way if you don't naturally write that way. Sure. Can I give you another answer from go a right different ahead. perspective? Quickly, because I think we have yeah. like a minute and a half. I'm going to put my entrepreneurial evangelist hat on uh, and, and give an answer from the worldview of what is revival of revenue. The, the reality of it is, to your listening audience, that you know the, 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 the question that you asked me, I gave you a direct answer. Yeah. But if I was going to divert that on my own show or to my own audience, I would say to you that you really don't want to get involved in anything. If you are involved in those kinds of emails, then you need to understand from a revival of revenue perspective, you're, you're, you're failing at the end game because the end game shouldn't be into those kinds of emails with your peers and coworkers. 
the, the mentality to have is to think of the emails from the entrepreneurs and the more entrepreneurial people that own the company. Right. Think they want and act like an owner. All of that. Yeah. I get it. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure they get your website. It's meet PK, M-E-E-T-P-K.com. Check out Patrick Kuchera. Patrick, thanks for being with us. Sure. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back with more AI chat. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. And uh, we continue our conversation on AI, but from a different angle, uh, because there's talk now that people are asking ChatGPT, the AI platform, to be their life coach. They're using AI for therapy. And uh, I think this is very interesting because how do you make therapy kind of one size fits all, right? But some are saying that the results were surprisingly helpful. Uh, Generative AI being um, ChatGPT, had 1.8 billion visits in May compared to 153,000 visits in November of 2022 when it launched. So people are kind of gravitating towards using AI as uh, their life coach or their therapist. And I got to tell you, I think it's kind of scary, but some say it might be helpful. I'm no expert on that, although I can pretend to be one for one segment on the radio, but I want to bring in a real expert, Dr. Tracy Kemble. Uh, she's the author of the Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary. We've had her on in the past, and she's a fantastic guest. Dr. Tracy, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. What an exciting uh, subject we're talking about, huh? It really is. I saw this, and uh, truth be told, it was a pitch for somebody else. I was like, I don't know that person. Get me Dr. Tracy Campbell, please. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. Not that the other person didn't. I just I trusted your, your, your professional opinion on this stuff uh, because um, I feel like you're really um, up to speed on this. And, and again, I don't know um, if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I just know I don't even trust half of the you know, uh, do therapy online thing. I, I talked to so many people lately and uh, they're all like, yeah, I'm doing therapy. I got to go in my car. Or I'm going to go over here. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I guess it works just the same, but it's just, uh, I think I, I always appreciate the, the real human contact. And I think that's a, a helpful thing, but what's your thought? Um, maybe you can convince me or, or agree with me either or on using AI as a therapist. Okay, so just to give this a test really quickly, right before we got on, I, you know, I'm working, I'm kind of going to go under the umbrella of what it feels like to be in a narcissistic relationship pre-understanding that you're in a narcissistic relationship mm-hmm. and not really knowing what you just know you're in pain and, okay, there's something wrong, um, let's see what happens. So I jumped on to... Um, to AI and I said my partner makes me feel crazy in the relationship and the result that I got was basically like oh I'm, I felt like I was dealing with a narcissist because it begins <laughs> with fake empathy and the reason that I say that is that a machine has no feelings right it says oh I'm right, sorry that you're feeling that way <laughs> right. um, which is very clever because it draws me in a bit right 
Um, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Uh, I recommend you reach out to a therapist or a friend or somebody who is safe to talk to because remember, all relationships are supposed to make you feel good. Now, that person has left with absolutely no information. Right. I don't Platitudes. think that, that it's it, the wise way to seek help uh, with one of the most important organs in your body, which is uh, your brain and uh, the mind thought process. You need a professional to go in there and really help you figure out what's, what's going on. Um, because, if, for example, in this case, if somebody's feeling crazy in a narcissistic relationship, there's a really good chance that they're getting gaslit. And right. the, the part of, of a successful therapy is just like diagnostics. You need to know what your client is going through and give that ghost a name so that they can um, tackle that challenge. And AI, I don't feel, has the ability to do that, plus other concerns. Yeah, and I, I, that, that's exactly, I mean, you said it so much better than I could have articulated that, but that was exactly my thinking is, how do, how do they know? I mean, you, you present the problem, they don't really know the probing questions. You know, I was a salesman once, and, you know, you have to get, you have to ask all these probing questions to get the prospect to tell you, hey, this is what it is, this is how I feel, this is what I need, these are the criteria that I have. And uh, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you could set up a chat GPT to do that, but I just feel like it wouldn't be um, the, the best case scenario. Now, in 2023, there was a, repu- a report from Pew Charitable Trust saying 79% of American adults would not want to use AI or a chatbot for mental health support, and 46% of American adults think these apps should only be used if a patient is also seeing a therapist. Now, I'm thinking, based on what you're telling me, the second part of that, I'd say that doesn't sound like a good idea either. You know, it's like if I have a weekly therapy session with somebody, uh, I'm not going to go for the other six days of the week and uh, go to the chat bot for it to give me these platitudes. But uh, people seem to, because therapy has a a price to pay and not everybody's insurance covers it or they're uninsured or whatever the case may be, they turn to this because it's free help. And and, uh, one of the quotes in this article I'm I'm looking at says that, you know, I, I enjoyed that I could trauma dump on chat GPT anytime and anywhere for free and I would receive an unbiased response in return. And this came from a 19-year-old named Kyla from Berkeley, California, in an article with BuzzFeed. And, and I'm thinking here, you know, I have a daughter that's 22 and another one that's about to be 18. And I would hate if my kid had to trauma dump, which I don't even know what that is, but I'm guessing it's, you know, to kind of just let it all out. Um, I would hate for her to do that, to chat GPT and get some sort of response that has no idea what she is, who she is, and what she's going through. Is is that a reasonable expectation that I have, or am I off my rocker? No, I think that you're you're right on target, and you know I have a couple of concerns that go off when I when I hear that. Again, you know the the thing about going to a therapist or uh, anybody who is in the helps industry is that you're struggling. You have a puzzle over your head, and you can't see that puzzle, and you're relying. You know when you're working with a client. There's, there's a tremendous amount of intuition that also goes into it that you, you're thinking, okay, you know, how is my, what is the body language of, of mm-hmm. the client? What is, does this client look me in the eye? Um, do, are they speaking in words like I feel, I believe, I hope, I think? These are all different ways that people intake information. And to be effective, you want to be able to respond properly 
and, you know, calibrate with that person that is in front of you. Um, a, a person who, you know, when I heard you say trauma, trauma dumping, um, that's a journal. This is a journal that might talk back to you. Um, mm. But a journal is not somebody who can guide you and, and give you advice based on what's reality. And, and here's two other scary things. Is that, you know, um, I have been young and in my 20s and over-emotional, and this is just part of, of being human or at least being female. That's the only standpoint I can talk from. And um, things can get very exaggerated in our mind, especially when it comes to love or perfectionism and acceptance and things of that nature. So if you're telling a machine that, you don't know which way the machine's going to read it. Right, you know, because they, uh, they don't have the experience, right, that you would have the uh, the previous clients that you've seen, uh, the kind of intuitive nature that a human would have in being able to kind of read the scenario and read the person. And, and I think that's one of my big concerns here. Exactly, because, you know, in, in my line of field, if I have somebody who is speaking about being in great pain and then says, you know, I just want to die, um, what are you going to do with that? What's a machine going to do with that? Because the first thing I do is I say, okay, do you want to die? Or do you want the pain to end? Because these are two different, right, two different roads things. that we're going to go down. But that takes the human knowledge um, to the end. And then the immediate response to that, because if somebody says, I want to die, you have to take immediate response. You don't say no. Let's end this session and call nine one one. Right, you know? right. Call your therapist. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's like intervention that needs to take place at those critical moments. Or, or what about the importance of when you are spinning out and you've lost your your clarity that a, a live therapist can can be right there with you and say, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, but let's put this in in its proper perspective. Right. And, and use the skills that you don't have, which is why you're in therapy. Exactly. Dr. Tracy, uh, stick with me for a second. We're going to take a quick pause right here. Folks, we're on with Dr. Tracy Kemble. Uh, she's the author of Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary, and several other books. We'll get into those in a little bit. Uh, stick with us. Excellent conversation, uh, in my opinion, on using AI for therapy. And we're going to continue that conversation straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and we're here with Dr. Tracy Kemble. She's uh, the author of Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary, and she's actually got a couple of other books um, that I was just perusing on her website, which are really catchy titles here, which uh, you should definitely take a look at. Check it out at drtracy.tv, drtracy.tv. 
Now, I wanted to um, ask you about the um, this other book of yours, the second edition of The Courage to Say No More. What was the impetus for writing that book? Life pain. Uh, that is a story about, you know, many people ask me, how did you get into the world of um, abuse, trauma, recovery? And my answer is by living it first. And so that was, that's really my, my story about how I got into it, um, the, what, the degradation of self that happened, being in a relationship that, as you've heard me say several times, it had no name. Um, it had a lot of pain, but it didn't have a name. And, uh, and then most important, my journey out of it. And that's really the, the, the cornerstone, uh, uh, project, let's say that, that, or the, the book that, um, the inspiration that led me to being in the industry and, you know, 30 years later running trauma recovery um, throughout the, the states and different parts of the world. When someone, um, and again, I, I find this becoming like a new topic uh, or a frequent topic of conversation that, you know, used to be, oh, what are you doing? Where'd you go with the kids? What'd you do with whatever? A lot of people now um, are starting sentences with, you know, in therapy the other day, my therapist told me, I hear this so often from a lot of people. Uh, it really is. And, and I see so much growth in a lot of people becoming really strong communicators because of the therapy that they're involved in. So I, I think it's a great thing. But <clears throat> when someone's shopping around, because I, oftentimes, you know, in business, they always say you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes people don't realize they have all this baggage to unpack. But when, once they finally realize it and they're looking for a therapist, what's your um, recommendation for people that are listening that are saying, you know, I, COVID messed me up, um, I lost my job, or I still have my job, but it's not the same. I've been in isolation. We were, earlier, we were talking about how this is like the loneliest generation, and lon- loneliness is the new epidemic in America. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I think are seeking therapy, continuing to seek therapy, um, going to commence therapy. What's your, uh, when shopping for a therapist, what should one look for? I think it's no different than shopping for the, the right set of shoes. And what I mean by that is, you know, look around, vet that person, go try them on. I, I recommend, I was just uh, meeting with somebody the other day and, and they need to go get a, an outside voice, a person that can help, hopefully, hopefully help them look at their puzzle. And uh, she left the thing, the meeting and she's like, I don't know if this is the right one. And, and so, you know, I asked some basic questions. I'm like, so when you arrived, um, you know, did you have a set of questions in place? Because that's my policy. It's like before I, I meet with somebody, I, I tell them, you know, show up with at least five questions. And I have that client give me those five questions so I can at least scratch the itch that they're walking through the door and not spend an entire hour, you know, talking about things that are not going to end their immediate pain. So you want to make some sure that somebody that you meet, you know, decide, does it matter if it's male or female? Um, make sure that you're finding somebody who specializes in the condition that you believe that you might be suffering with. It's no different than, you know, don't go to a podiatrist uh, if you have a, a rash on your back. You know, that's a dermatologist that you need to go to. So you need to find the right one. Of so, and then the other thing with that is, is, you know, when you leave, do you at least have one step in the right direction as to how you're going 
to manage this difficulty in your life that week. Hmm. And how does, um, does, do you find people are open to that? Are they willing to do that or do people become kind of obstinate? I think that, you know, there's two types of people that walk through the door in, in therapy. There's those who are in deep pain and they're, maybe there's three, and they're in such deep pain that they don't know what's happening in their life. So they really are relying on you to help them see their puzzle. They have no names to any type of a pain. The second type is somebody who has been in therapy for a while and they just haven't gotten the right formula to be able to create the, the life change. And so it's kind of the ongoing um, bread kneading process. And then the, the third one is the person who's getting dragged into therapy. And you see this a lot in couples counseling that, you know, the person who doesn't want to be there will go right. a maximum of 90 days and then bail the system. Makes sense. Uh, Dr. Tracy Campbell, stick with us. I want to come right back and I want to ask you a little bit about the four secrets to staying true to self from your book, How to Not Care What People Think. And I tend to not care what people think, but I know a lot of people do care. (laughs) And I think this is an interesting book. So stick with us, folks. We're on with Dr. Tracy Campbell. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. In Dr. Tracy Campbell's book, How to Not Care What People Think, The Four Secrets to Staying True to Yourself, um, in the two minutes we have, Dr. Tracy, uh, give us that book in a nutshell. That book in a nutshell is so important for anybody who cares about what people think. It's It's a book about understanding there's four basic principles that will help untether you from this bondage of living your life out for other people. And very quickly, it's about understanding that you are here on your own journey. Number one, that you belong to nobody but yourself. Number three, that whatever you do with your life, it's not personal against another person. Um, And that we're all joined and made this individual like a piece of chocolate. We're all an individual piece of chocolate. And some people like chocolate and some people like oranges. And if you're a chocolate, be a chocolate. And those who don't like chocolate, let them be. And then finally, it's a really about the importance of understanding that the people who love you will love you through your life transitions and the new invention of yourself. And uh, you have to trust in the journey of, of stepping into your authentic self will surround you with people who authentically love you, which is the root behind why we care about what people think we're looking for love. Basically, if you're for me, you're for me, right? That's kind of how I look at life. If you're not for me, you're not for me. <laughs> uh, but it seems like an excellent exactly. book. It looks like it's going to be a stocking stuffer for me this Christmas. There's a lot of people I know that they're like, well, what, what, do you, what, what if they say this? And what if they say that? God, what do you care what they think? Really, what do you care? <laughs> what do you care? I, exactly. I don't care, right? But, Those um, who love you, love you. I, I agree with that 100%. Let everybody know 
how they can uh, contact you, work with you, follow the work that you're doing, and learn what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. So I'm Dr. Tracy Kemble. My website is drtracy.tv. You can find me easiest on Instagram, Dr. Tracy Kemble, and it's K-E-M-B-L-E, Feminine Boss Academy, and you should be able to search around and find me there. Folks, check out the website, drtracy.tv. That's D-R-T-R-A-C-Y dot TV. Dr. Tracy, thanks for being with us tonight. I appreciate you staying up late. Thank you so much. Have a good you one. Bet. Take care. Godspeed. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up next. We've got a lot to discuss. A bunch is on the table, and we've had a lot to discuss thus far. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Wednesday evening. It's hump day. You know, it's actually National Tell-A-Joke Day today as well. Um, So if you want to call in and tell me a joke, that's cool. Just keep it clean. It's radio. It's late night, but it's still radio. FCC rules apply. And the phone number, if you want to join us on our late night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, I know some of you are calling in. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. I just, uh, following up on what we were talking about, the issue of people going to therapy and people being depressed and people being all sorts of things. And the... The issue of mental health just it just doesn't go away, right? I'm looking at the news and I see what's going on here with respect to just so many ugly stories, and I'm not going to get into all of them. But there's one here in particular I'm looking at. I'm thinking if this isn't a, a case of, you know, somebody not noticing. And again, you, you can't always notice, I'm pretty sure. But this girl, she's a teenager in Ohio, Right. She murdered her boyfriend and her friend by deliberately crashing her car at 100 miles an hour. I mean, this is crazy. She's now facing life in prison after being convicted of murdering her boyfriend and his friend. Excuse me. Brick wall, 100 miles an hour. The judge called it literally hell on wheels. Her name, Mackenzie Sherilla, 19 years old. She was sobbing in court as she uh, found out she was guilty on four counts of murder for the July 2022 crash. Killed her boyfriend as well as uh, another passenger. I mean, this is just a horrible, horrible uh, story. And and I just can't imagine what would drive somebody to do that because obviously she was probably trying to kill herself as well and failed. But... um. 
this young lady, Miss Sharilla, she's found guilty on four counts of felony assault, two counts of aggravated vehicular homicide. So she'll be eligible for parole after 15 years. And there was security video that caught her, what they say, acting with purpose and intent by flooring her Toyota Camry to 100 miles an hour moments before it jumped the curb and careened into a brick warehouse. The judge said she morphs from a responsible driver to literal hell on wheels as she makes her way down the street. Mackenzie alone made the decision to drive the car, to drive in a, uh, to an obscure route, a route she visited a few days before, and a route not routinely taken by her. So it seems like this wasn't like we got into a fight and she just drove. This was, she intended to do this. And I mean, this is just absolute crazy. Absolute crazy. I uh, Almost speechless here. Uh, when she woke up in the hospital after the accident, doctors said she displayed grief, guilt, and shame about what happened. State's attorneys also um, said that she appeared to be conscious of her guilt. The uh, prosecutor told the court that the teen wanted to murder Dominic Russo after their months-long fling fizzled out. And the friend was just cargo, according to the uh, prosecutor. I mean, absolute craziness here. Really, really uh, absolute crazy. And uh, I just wanted to put that out there to just get your thoughts on that, because I think that's crazy. I also want to get into a little bit on uh, the rapper Neo. He was making headlines last week for an interview that he did. And uh, we will get to that uh, shortly. The long and short of that is, you know, they said he had to apologize and he doubled back on the apology. So I want to dig into that. But I also wanted to uh, get into a little bit of Joe Biden, right? Because Joe Biden, he says that he says that he is thinking of renaming the Inflation Reduction Act at the anniversary event today at the White House, because it's been a year since they put together the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, I don't think it's reduced any inflation, actually added to inflation. But they're now spinning it as the most aggressive climate regulations they've ever had. Listen to this. The Inflation Reduction Act is giving people more breathing room, as my dad would say, and is supercharging the economic transition in key ways. First, it's taking the most aggressive action ever on climate energy, ever. I've long said, and I've, that's why I think all the unions have come along. I've long said, when I think climate, not a joke, I think jobs. I think jobs. He's thinking jobs. He's thinking this and he's thinking that. You know what? All I can say is I think Biden is nuts on this. Really. How do you make the Inflation Reduction Act and then just say this is about breathing room? Who here? Raise your hand. Not if you're driving, but raise your hand if you feel like you have more breathing room because Biden spent that much more money on this uh, so-called Inflation Reduction Act. I think it's insane. I want your thoughts and opinions on it. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's uh, go to Alex. He's in Brooklyn, New York, listening on WFAS. Alex, welcome. Yeah, hey, Rich, thanks so much for taking the call. Uh, Joe Biden says that he cares about jobs. I'll tell you, the only jobs that he cares about is the ones that his son Hunter got from foreign countries because that's how he got money. That's how he has that Delaware home where he goes to every second day uh, while he ignores the rest of the country. Um, 
it's it's totally absurd the way he's running on Bidenomics and he's changing the name of the Inflation Reduction Act. I think he should change that name, and I'm, I'll give him credit for that. That's the only thing I give this guy credit for because the Inflation Reduction Act increased inflation. So I was I was getting a little confused when he did that. Uh, I thought maybe he's you right. know doing it for the gender people because maybe he wants to show that uh, he's all for uh, identifying something as it's not to make these wokesters feel good about it. Uh, but to run on Bidenomics, it's crazy. I mean, it, I, I think any Democrat should think Joe Biden is running on the economy. That's the last thing he should be running on. You know, they, they think that maybe he's trying to get us out of COVID, but it's, it's not like the economy is good that he should be able to run on it. Uh, you know, Trump ran on the economy. People were better off that when, than when he came in. And in history, we were energy independent for the first time in many, many years. Uh, the, the, the grocery shop, the prices were down. Things were really going well, so he actually ran on something. But th- this is something where Joe Biden can excuse himself. So if Joe gets an excuse, that means he did something well because he says COVID is the thing that is why the economy is not doing so well. Um, and I-, I think that he should be having a campaign slogan. And this this might convince me to vote for him, which says, <laughs> if you vote for me in 2024, I'll sleep two hours more a day. Because the only positive thing about this Biden presidency is the fact that he sleeps a lot because when he's he's sleeping he doesn't sign executive orders and none of these disasters keep on happening you know imagine if he'd be up all day we would have like probably a million times the amount of problems we have the a million times the amount of blunders we get out of him talking sleepy Um, joe and in that speech creepy joe and he he gave that speech where he offered kids ice cream and he said come to me afterwards ask your daddy and i'm like Whoa, 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 whoa. This guy has a history of, you know, sniffing little children's here and doing a little, lot of creepy stuff. This was like a different president. I'd be like, maybe he just messed up his words. But no, this guy has a history of, of being creepy, especially the little kids. So you put the dots together and you know that he meant what he said. Uh, he's a real mess and he's screwing up the country. And this shouldn't be tolerated in any way, shape or form for the future. You know, Alex, I heard the comments and I, and I thought it was just. It was weird. It, it it was weird. But again, he has a thing for being weird. It's kind of like the way he ends, right? His punctuation is always like a loud whisper or some sort of creepy, weird thing. And he's like, you know, tell your dad there's ice cream or tell daddy that you need ice cream. I'll take care of you. It was just so weird. And you're right. I don't know if we have the audio on that. Otherwise, I'd play it. But uh, yeah, it was very, very funny to say the least. I, I laughed at it, but creepy, very cringy. Now, let me ask you uh, on this story that I was just talking about. What do you think about this girl that was trying to, I guess, kill herself and killed her boyfriend and his friend, uh, 19 years old? What what does that uh, say to you? I find it very sad that she had such a state of mind that she was able to do that. Uh, but she only deserves what she's getting, life imprisonment. But if you th- there are people in this country now that are thinking as they hear about the story, oh, poor girl, she was going through probably a difficult time and she killed her and she you know, wanted to kill herself and her friend and she feels guilty about it. And maybe we should let her go because she's this young person. So there, there's the thing of, you know, payback and revenge and you're a monster, you should be held accountable. But, that, but we also have to think about, I think, and, and everybody needs to agree on this, we can't have a functional society if we let people get away with things like the Democratic right, Party you can't kill people. doing, it, it, yep, it should come down to so much of having a functioning society. And I, quite frankly, this is a controversial thing to say. I hope you don't mind. I think if you murder someone, even if you're a victim, it's more about, you know, 
of keeping our society functioning. You should have your hands and legs amputated and be put on a shelf for the rest of your life. Not because I'm <laughs> mad at you. You may have got, had a difficult childhood, but because we need to set an example for others. And I'll tell you, we've got a lot of mentally ill people in this country, right? Some of them, when they do follow through with killing someone or doing something horrendous, it's because they're really incapable of controlling themselves. But I'll say there are a lot of them, but, you know, they know they don't run into the street and kill themselves. They know that they'll get away with it, and they follow through with doing horrendous stuff. It's harder for them to control themselves. Yeah, and you know, it, they... it's an interesting point that you bring up, because I, I don't think we should be chopping anybody's hands off. But they do that in a lot of countries, and, and I'd be curious to know what the what the theft rate is, you know, and how they manage that. But what, what I really think here is when we look at these videos or people doing what they want to do, something you brought up, uh, like when you see these videos of these teenagers that are wearing masks and they're robbing Yves Saint Laurent and other luxury stores in San Francisco, New York City, and other places. I can't help but think that, of course, they're doing this because they know there won't be a consequence. And you're right. How do we have a functional society if people know there is no accountability and that somehow they're allowed to do these things in the name of reparations, in the name of whatever, in the name of, um, you know, prison reform and whatever the reasoning is for the uh, pro-crime progressive prosecutors doing what they do to not put people in jail. But the, the lack of prosecution, the lack of accountability creates conditions for chaos. And that is a problem. Alex, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I got to take a quick pause right here. We're going to come back to your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, welcome back. And this story I was just talking about, again, it's, I just find it concerning uh, that, you know, people are going through these things and young people are losing their lives over this. Uh, Mackenzie Shirella, 19 years old, drove her car, Toyota Camry, into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour, killing both the passenger in the front seat and the passenger in the back seat and walking away from this without a scratch. She was high on THC, so I'm guessing marijuana or vaping THC, uh, over the state's legal limit for THC. But because they had murder charges, the prosecutors chose not to pursue driving under the influence charges. Truly a sad story. A sad story, and um, those of you that are parents, I'm sure, can kind of commiserate on, you know, how, how it feels, you know. You don't have to lose a child to read a story like this and just feel terrible. And it just makes you think that what kind of mental health scenario was this poor girl in? And the poor girl, because her life is over, right? And their lives, they're the poor ones, really. 
Uh, I'm empathetic to this, but I do believe she has to pay the price. You do the crime, you do the time. Anyway, let's go to your calls. John in Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. John, go right ahead. Father, family. God bless you. Uh, Thank you, John. God bless you, too. uh, Yeah, I'm 100% service-connected disabled uh, veteran with severe PTSD from stuff that I was exposed to at a very young age. And uh, there are many, many life uh, stressors that are heaped upon us uh, from day to day. Uh, My granddaughter was bitten in the face by a dog two multiple deaths in my family, all in the same week. And if you add that to the PTSD uh, uh, component, it's overwhelming. So people really do need mental health. They need to be able to speak to someone they can trust and open up and uh, get rid of those stressors or find a way to cope with the stressors. And uh, the VA has been... Nothing less than, than life-saving for me as far as I'm concerned. They have been absolutely wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's a great point. I'm glad you've had a good experience with the VA and and overall uh, acknowledging the importance of mental health. Uh, this is something I've never really paid that much attention to, but I think post-pandemic, I just see it all over the place. I see people going through so many different things, and I see these stories as we're putting the show together, and it, it's it's really disconcerting and disheartening to see, you know, young people in particular um, suffering at, at the hands of this stuff because it's, I mean, it's it's just like a future robbed, you know, three futures in this situation and, by the one girl, and it's it's really unfortunate. Now, um, and John, I, I want to just take a moment to thank you for your service. Uh, obviously, you, you know, you went through a lot in your in your time in the service, and you know that's not to be um, overlooked, right? I mean, it's it's. It's a big task. I've got a brother who served in the Marine Corps, and, and he's got some stories. And uh, whenever we have a chance to thank a veteran, I think we should. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Rich. God bless you. My good you friend, which is Sin Pelo. Sin Pelo, yes, that means without hair in Spanish. <laughs> that's Amigo Sin Pelo, that's funny. Maybe we should do a, one of those uh, liners that says that. Uh, I appreciate it, John. Thank you. Let's see, where do we go from here? We go to the rest of your calls. They're coming up straight ahead. Uh, I want to just, we're going to get to your calls. We've got calls from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and from Michigan as well. More are coming in as we're speaking. Uh, I want to just let you know, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the inflation. Uh, There's also another story out there that I want to get to. And there's that audio that I mentioned about the rapper Neo, right? Because Neo was in an interview and he made some comments. You know, they asked him his opinion on something. He gave his opinion and they didn't like his opinion because I think he said something to the effect of we won't even let a 12 year old drive a car, but we're going to let them decide what gender they want to be. And this is, I think he's a father of six or seven kids. So, I mean, who am I to tell a parent what to do? Right. And, but, uh, he, he took a lot of heat for that. And then, the media said he walked back an apology and then he doubled down and said, look, I didn't walk back the apology. I said, I'm sorry if you were offended by what I said. And we've got both clips of that audio that I want to play. I wanted to play the first part last week, but uh, now that there's a follow-up, I'm going to play both of them for you when we come back and we'll get to your calls as well. 833-482-5337, 
Valdez and online at Rich Valdez with an S on the social media. All right, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. have almost almost forgotten what the role of a parent is. Amen. It's like, okay, if your little boy comes to you and says, Daddy, I want to be a girl, and you just let him rock with that? You just let... Right. He's five. Right. And where did he get that if from? If you let this five-year-old boy decide to eat candy all day, he's going to do that. Exactly. Like, when, when did it become a good idea to let a five-year-old, let a six-year-old, let a 12-year-old make a life-changing decision for themselves? Right. When did that happen? Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I don't get that. So that is the rapper Neo, and uh, he's a chart-topping artist. I'm sure you've heard some of his songs uh, at one point or another. And he's doing an interview with uh, a YouTube channel called Vlad TV with Gloria Velez. And he made those comments saying, you know, parents have forgotten their role as parents. And and she seems to be in agreement with him, and I, I, I'm certainly in agreement with that. Uh, I think that's absolute craziness. Uh, but he got in trouble for this. People really kind of came at him and saying that, you know, what he said was transphobic and that he was this and he was that. And and he made a comment uh, basically saying, you know, I'm sorry that offended you. Uh, but the media went and took it as if he had, you know, caved and capitulated to the radical left. And and he decided to double down and say, no, 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 that's not the case. Right. That's not what happened at all in any way. And he clarified it, and I've got the audio of that, and then we're going to get to your calls because I think it's, um, it, it's always good when somebody makes their position clear, right? And in this audio, and I'm going to play the whole thing so that you don't lose context here. It, to me, what came through was he's, forget about being a celebrity, forget about being a rapper, a judge on The Voice, any of those things. He's a father, and as a father, he has a duty. Listen to this. I normally don't give too much of a damn about what y'all think about what I do, or, or what y'all have to say about what I say, whatever. I normally don't care because, like I said, opinions ain't special. Everybody got one. However, this is something I feel very strongly on, and I need y'all to hear this from the horse's mouth, not the publicist's computer. So check this out. First and foremost, I do not apologize for having an opinion on this matter. I am a 43-year-old heterosexual man raising five boys and two girls, okay? That's my reality. Now, if my opinion offended somebody, yeah, sure, I apologize for you being offended because that wasn't my intention. My intention is never to offend anybody. However, I'm entitled to feel how I feel. I'm absolutely entitled to feel how I feel the same way you are entitled to feel how you feel. I ain't asked nobody to follow me. I ain't asked nobody to agree with me. I was asked a question and I answered the damn question, okay? I have no beef with the LBGTQIA plus community whatsoever. I ain't got no beef with y'all. Do whatever the hell it is you want to do. Do what you want to do with your kids. However... Somebody asked my opinion on this matter, and this is how I feel. I will never be okay with allowing a child to make a decision that detrimental to their life. I will never be okay with that. I don't care. I, I definitely plan to educate myself a little bit more on this matter. However, I doubt that there's any book, 
anywhere or any opinion that somebody's going to tell me that's going to make me okay with letting a child make a decision like that. That's just period, point blank, and that's how I feel. If I get canceled for this, then you know what? Maybe this is a world where they don't need a Neo no more, all right? And I got no problem with that. I'm a hustler, all right? I'll figure it out. I got kids to raise, and I'm going to do that regardless. So with that being said, y'all have a good day. I love everybody. Live how you want to live. Love how you want to love. But your opinion is yours. Speak your opinion as much as you damn well feel like it. Because as I said, they're not important. They're not special. Everybody got one and you're entitled to it. I'm entitled to mine. All right. Y'all feel how y'all want to feel. Have a great day. It's Neo. Peace and love. I'm applauding Neo. I mean, the articulation there was superb. He, he, he nailed it way better than I think I ever could have. Uh, and because it came from the heart, it was true passion. And again, uh, now he's being praised, right? He's being praised by, by others that were transgender and have detransitioned back to their biological sex. And I, I think it really takes a lot of guts to, um, to do what he did, being that, you know, he's in Hollywood and he's a celebrity and all of that. And good for him. I, I think people look up to that. And I know I, I definitely have a lot. I, I've always liked him. And I think now I have a lot more respect for him than I ever did before because um, it, he did the right thing. And as parents, that's what we have to do, the right thing. This isn't a political issue. And that's why I bring it up as much as I do, even though some listeners criticize me. Th this isn't uh, a political issue, and it shouldn't be a political issue. And I think but Democrats, independents, atheists, you name it, whatever you want to call yourself, you should be against little kids deciding to make these changes on their own. Let them do it when they're older. And the argument, oh, once they're older, they've grown hair and they've done puberty and they've done this and it's that much harder. Well, that's too bad. You know, again, back to what he said. If you're not going to let them drive a car, how are you going to let them make this life-altering decision? Anyway, let's get to your calls. Uh, let's see. We've got um, Allison in Portland, Maine, and we've got calls from Myrtle Beach in Michigan as well. We're getting to those momentarily. Allison on WLOB, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Senor Vades. Anyway, I just, yeah, I'm the weird trans who's kind of conservative, who did the whole thing <laughs> a long time ago. I talked to you once before. Yeah, I remember. Yes, like, welcome back. I'm kind of like the get off my lawn, you kids trans. Um, um, <laughs> and I'm very, you know, I, I just, I understand the whole thing about children and, and really, and how, you know, they shouldn't be making life altering decisions when they're really, really young. But at the same time, it's just like this nonstop, and I mentioned this before, there's this nonstop hate against uh, transes on the radio a lot, and, and it's in the media, and, and it's really wearing me out. Um, I did the whole thing 40 years ago when hardly anybody was doing it. Right. And it's been, you know, I had a hard time. It was very difficult. Um, but, you know, um, um, but... Was it a popular I, I, topic 40 years ago? No, it was like you'd have somebody like Phil Donahue might be have somebody on about it, you know, or something like that, you know. Right. Um, something you know, kind of topical. Yeah, Merv Griffin or somebody like that, you know, who, and they were just trying to, you know, be sympathetic or just have somebody on who maybe was doing other things like music or something. But um, it's just this nonstop hate that people can come out and say, and this will, this will sound a bit, uh, just imagine somebody get on the radio and just stay with me for a minute sure. and just say every day they get on the radio and they rant about blacks for any reason you can make up. Any, and they rant about Jews for any reason you can make up or, or Hispanics or whatever. And they'd be off the air really fast. And for some reason, it's okay for people to just go on and on about this endlessly. Uh, not you, but, but there's a couple of the, the very, very, very right-wing hosts. And it seems to be their favorite topic, you know. I mean, they, that's just, they just love to just go on and on and on about it, considering all the stuff that's going on in the world. 
And you know, and I, as I said before, I mean, I don't, I don't think they should be doing sports when they're young. I don't think any definite, permanent decisions should be made until they're well into their teens. And, and I think that, that's really the the issue, Allison. And I think you're you're nailing it uh, because I can tell you, I've been doing this stuff for a while, and I've always had opinions on everything, and I've never really discussed uh, the transgender. Uh, as much as I do now. And the reason I do now is because it's being thrown at me every day. And if it wasn't thrown at me, if there wasn't the Leah Thomas scenario being played out multiple times by other people doing these things, in my opinion, robbing people of, of a legitimate sporting activity because of their decision. I think if, if I, I'm not, I'm not trans, but if you want to be trans, be trans, right? Just, I think do it like you did, you know, uh, as an adult conscious decision, do what you got to do. And I don't, I don't see why um, we should start changing, you know, bathrooms, this, that. that there's ways to get around it, right? The unisex bathrooms. And, and if, if I sound bigoted, forgive me, but that's just my take on it. And, and in, in particular, it's when it involves children, right? And when it, when it, it seems like it's, we're trying to almost persuade children to go a certain direction. That's where I think parents are up in arms and, and people are, are speaking out. So, and I get what you're saying. Um, I, I can't say I've observed that, but I did observe it years ago when people started railing on immigration. And I realized that some people were talking about illegal immigration, but other people found an outlet to discuss their disdain or, for lack of a better word, hatred of others. And, and that's a real thing. There are people that talk about immigration just because they want to hate Hispanics or they want to hate people that weren't born here. Um, that's a real thing. It's, I don't think it's a big number, but it's a thing. And they take residence within the movement of people that are legitimately talking about immigration policy. So I, I think uh, that's what I hear you saying is that, you know, it's one thing to talk about trans uh, transitions for younger people, you know, younger than 18 and, and, and sports, like you mentioned. Uh, it's another thing to just bash and hate um, transgender individuals as a whole. Uh, and and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, my job's not to hate anybody, right? I'm just here to talk about the issues. But it's, um, it's an unfortunate scenario that we're in today where there's such a target on the backs of young children. Allison. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for being so open-minded. But you did say one thing about if somebody chooses to be trans, but if you're really trans, believe me, it's not something you'd choose. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to go through it because it's very difficult. Mm. Even though there are some people, you know, like Kim Petras, the singer, and people who are coming, you know, out and things, it's still a very difficult thing. And uh, the, you know, if you really are trans, well, so, I appreciate yeah. that, and and I and I don't doubt it. And uh, thanks for your courage and for calling in. I appreciate it. Allison in Portland, Maine. Big shout out to you and everybody at WLOB. I appreciate uh, you listening in and, and really chiming in on the conversation. Uh, I'm going to pause right here because I, the clock says I have to, but I'm coming back and we've got a few really good callers. We're going to get to those. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Call now, 
spelled S with an S. All right, to the calls we go. Al in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Al, thanks for patiently waiting. We've got a lot of people on hold tonight, a lot of great callers. Al, what do you say about this, uh, this whole uh, debacle of, of parents and trans? What, how do you weigh in on that? Pretty much, you, you hit it right on the head. It's pretty crazy. But that's our politicians. What do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, now I know you wanted to say something about Alec Baldwin as well. What's on your mind there? Well, I did 20 years in Hollyweird. I used to work in the business. Oh. And there's a lot, there's a lot of, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, I do know a little bit about firearms. And this was, um, let's see, this was a single action, single action, um, single Revolver? action weapon. Yeah, you know, West, you, you've seen cowboy movies before, right? Yeah. Six year. Okay. Have you ever seen you know when they, you ever see the guy when when he got like, kind of what he calls fans the gun and hits the ha- he hits the hammer with his hand yep and it keeps going off that's right okay single action means just that single action when you pull the trigger the hammer goes down but if you pull the hammer back by by hand your and your finger is still on the trigger he basically what happened was he dropped the hammer on a live round. How a live round got in the gun, I don't know. Right, that's the part everybody's trying to negligent. figure out. If they had an, uh, what do they call them, the armors or the armory person? Uh, they're supposed to use blanks, and I can't figure out why on earth there was a real bullet in the gun in a movie. I've been listening to the story, and I shake my head because somebody handed in a gun telling me it was a cold gun, but as an actor, as anyone holding a gun, he should have checked the chamber to see if there was anything in it. Even even a blank is dangerous. I mean, you, you heard that right. thing about um, what was his name's um, Bruce Lee's son shooting himself with a squid. Right, Brandon Lee. Sure. Blank. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're right. It's not the first time it's happened. And again, I just want to tell for the audience's benefit. Um, there's uh, an article in the New York Post uh, today. Alec Baldwin could be charged again in the Rust shooting after analysis finds that the trigger was pulled. Uh, I don't know if the charges are going to be brought or not, uh, but. Uh, according to the experts, the fatal incident was the consequence of the hammer being manually retracted to its fully rearward position and cocked, followed at some point by the pull or rearward depression of the trigger. So exactly what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I think it, it's, a, it's a very unfortunate thing. I, I don't for a second believe that he intended to, to kill anyone. Um, whether there was a mishap somewhere or whatever, I, I'm not even that up to speed on the story, but it's incredibly unfortunate. And it, it really just begs the question, um, you know, should we have live rounds at movies for whatever purpose they had them? I don't think they should. If, if you're making a movie, make a movie. If you're shooting people, then shoot people, right? You know, use live rounds for when you're really using a firearm. But if, uh, if that's not your intention, I think we should stick with, um, you know, we've got AI for everything else in the world. It, it, if, if you're acting, just be an actor. And I'm not faulting him in any way. Uh, I'll leave that for the courts. But it, it just is a very unfortunate situation. Al, thank you for the call. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And big shout-out to everybody in South Carolina on WRNN. Uh, we're going to take a quick pause right here, come back to do the speed round with our callers. It's ladies' night. We've got three ladies on the line. We're going to get to all of you straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against a tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority, we have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man. That's Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, presidential candidate uh, at a rally, having a discussion with a trans individual. And uh, to the calls we go, let's go to Sue in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Go right ahead, Sue. You just played the clip that I was hoping you would, because that's, that, I wanted to say to your caller, Allison, this is why people are responding the way they are to this trans thing. It's because it's the tyranny of the minority. When I had a doctor's appointment recently, I had to fill out an intake form online, and they asked me what my pronouns were. And you know what I said? This is tyranny. Because if a person can lose their job because they don't call somebody by the right pronoun, that is tyranny. We shouldn't all be expected to engage in the same dysphoria or whatever that you're doing. Just accept the fact you have rights, but don't make us all bow at the same altar. Understood. And uh, good point, Sue, and I, I appreciate it. It's the speed round, so I, I can't do a follow-up with you, but I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody on WXDE. Let us continue uh, to uh, Kim in Shields, Michigan, very quickly. Go right ahead, KDKA. Hi, Rich. Just wanted hey. to let you know, gas, two, hi, two quick things. Gas is $4 a gallon around here. When President Trump left office, it was one ninety-five around here. And mm -hmm. the other thing I wanted to thank you for um, is thank you for defending me the other night to the David, the nudist from San Francisco, <laughs> who called my fucking yammering. Um, yeah. And thank you for fact-checking him because you found out he was wrong about the hottest July ever and the corals. And oh, yeah, the I coral reefs. Oh, you're welcome, Kim. It's always a pleasure. And you know what? I paid. Uh, I remember that the, the last day Trump was in office, I paid a dollar sixty seven for regular. And um, I filled up yesterday at four twenty nine. But it was super. But still four twenty nine. I thought that was pretty hefty. Kim, thank you very much. Big shout out to KDKA, the oldest radio station in America. And Sarah Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, great show. I just want to say, um, I think the reason people are sounding off is not that there's a lot of, I'm sure there are people who are transphobic, but there's also an overwhelming majority who are not. They don't like it being forced on them. Parents don't have the right to know if their kid wants to transition. Um, people are forced to use the same restrooms with people whose biolo biological is the opposite gender. You know, they're, if, if they really just wanted equal rights, hey, let's focus on not bullying kids or being mean to kids who are transitioning. How about um, separate sports leagues for trans men and women? How right. about um, a, just a single uh, stall restroom that kids who um, are transing can use? Yet they don't want those alternatives. They want to force it on everybody else. And then if you object, they call you a transphobe or a homophobe. Yeah. You, you know, and I did, this is the same position that I take, that I think we, we need to treat people with dignity, all people, and irrespective of what they're going through. But we can't, uh, kind of like what Sue said, there can't be a tyranny of the majority. We can't all 
change the way we do things just to accommodate this small group. I think we should just make something separate just for them so that they can feel included. Anyway, thank you, Sarah, for the call. I appreciate it. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it all again tomorrow, God willing. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come after me. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.